Blog Talk Radio. Hello, Rob. Oh. Rob Caswell, are you there? Oh, he is. Okay, we're putting, you, we're putting you back on. We're putting you back on mute. <laughs> uh, on mute for a second. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna we're gonna put you back on mute for a second while we uh, while we do a sure. little uh, show opening here. So, uh, welcome everybody to um, to drive through HR. It is. Monday, July 6th, we have uh, just come off of the holiday weekend, the uh, July 4th holiday weekend here in the States, and uh, because we had so, so much fun last week with Canada Week, or O Canada mm-hmm. Week as we called it here on Drive Through HR, um, we've extended it into this week because, of course, Canada Day was last Wednesday, July 1st. And uh, we had Canadians on all week, and uh, we wanted to carry it on into this week. So we're continuing O Canada Week. So I'm I'm Robin Schooling, along with my co-host Mike Vandervoort. Hello, Mike. Hey, Robin. How's it going today? It is good. It is uh, in in my neck of the woods. It is pouring rain and thundering and lightning, and I hope my electricity doesn't go out. So. <laughs> Uh, it's it's warm and not thundering here, but we're supposed to get similar weather later this afternoon, probably like a 60% chance. You know, mm-hmm. you mentioned carrying on Canada Week. That I, I know where we got the original idea from that is from our our show, uh, our former show, the, the creator of Drive Through HR, who had the brilliant idea about 10 years ago to extend Cinco de Mayo which is now known That's as right. Cinco de Wimpen. We're just following right. in Brian's footsteps about making a holiday last many more days than it really gets on the calendar. So, <laughs> anyway, that's as witty as I'm getting this today, so let's jump to our guest. Let's jump to our guest. Uh, we are we are thrilled to um, to have him with us today, and um, that is Rob Rob Caswell. Hello, Rob. Hello, how are you? We are very good, very good, and and uh, thank you for um, calling across the um, somewhat invisible yet existing border now between Canada and the U.S. in this time of the pandemic. Um, and for our listeners who um, who are not familiar with you and what you do, um, we're going to toss it to you and have you introduce yourself. Tell us. Tell us who you are, what you do, what uh, sure. what drives you. Yeah, yeah. Thanks so much, Robin. So yeah, I I, I do some HR things. So I'm I'm a senior HR manager. I work mostly in the employee and labor relations 
uh, sphere, and uh, we'll say I'm also obnoxious on Twitter, uh, so that's uh, <laughs> allowed me to meet some wonderful people like you and uh, Mike through uh, a few things. Uh, do do yep. a lot of community work in and out of HR, so uh, I host the Disrupt HR uh, events in Calgary with a couple of fabulous co-organizers, and I also sit on our uh, professional association on the board of CPHR Alberta, so uh Sort of thing with like a local Sherm chapter or something uh, like that. And then I'm also an Air Force reservist supporting uh, our cadet uh, programs here. So lots of ins oh, and outs through that. different leadership and organizational models. Oh, you learn something new every day, Rob. Uh, I know. So lots of diff- organizational and leadership models uh, around with, with that. So I've always had a keen interest in leadership. I ended up moving into HR from an operational role, took some education in HR and and uh, how to strive to lead it as a business function that emphasizes people is really drawn into it because I was always admired how much of an organization went through HR and HR functions and the potential for, for leadership there. Mm-hmm. I always love it when people when people come into HR like that kind of route, you know, it's very purposeful and it's, mm-hmm. you know, you got a little different experience under your belt. Um, so you can, you can kind of look at it with a, through a whole different framework than somebody right out of school, for example, that that has HR rose colored glasses on sometimes. Yeah. Well, yeah. So what, yeah, uh, I think it gives a, a Yeah, go ahead. I think it just uh, gives a, a bit of an ability to uh, ask the business question first and sprinkle in mm. some HR later. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So Canada, Canada Week, and uh, Canada. Uh, you know, coming down off the high of celebrating last week. Uh, we've asked all our guests Absolutely. on uh, on O Canada Week to tell us one, and we limit you to one, one great thing that everybody should know about Canada. I think one great thing everyone should know about Canada is at least once a year in our news cycle, there's at least one story about Moose Loose, Moose Got Caught. <laughs> and it's true, you, you, you see it's like there, there's a moose wandering down a suburb in Calgary, city of a million and a half people, and moose gets caught. So one, once a year, you can guarantee, you can count on this story. <laughs> <laughs> Michael and yeah. I have alligators on the loose, not not mooses. Yeah, we have alligators too. So hey, Rob, um, I, I went to Canada. I've been there a, a number of times, but mostly in in Ontario. But I had the the, the distinct pleasure of once being told by my boss, "Hey, I need you to fly up to to Regina and go from there to Moose Jaw." And I was like, "Okay, why?" And it was a benchmarking trip and so I called the flight manager in, in Moose Jaw and said how do I find you and he said look for Bruce the Moose and I'm look like for Bruce okay <laughs> I'm like okay that's not directions and who or what is Bruce the Moose and it was a giant I guess fiberglass moose that sat off the expressway <laughs> and the factory that we that I was going to actually loomed in his shadow when there were when the sun was out. Which in February, I didn't see much sun in Moose Jaw or Regina. But <laughs> so I think the moose must yeah, must be like a, a a distinct cultural icon apparently. 
I, I, I really think it is. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay, with that, with that rather uh, weird aside, I did have a que- <laughs> couple of questions, I guess. So, so first of all, sure. Um, you and I, you and I share some interest in that we do some of the employee relations stuff, maybe more so than um, yeah. Drive some other drive to guests who are you know more maybe into a, more into recruiting or into uh, other parts of HR. Um, and I, uh, you know, I spent a lot of time over the last five or six years looking at values, right? The organizational values and all that kind of thing, how people walk the walk and talk the talk when it comes to their employee relations programs and, and delivering, you know, something that people can, that make in your, within your organization, delivering um, the, the, you know, I guess the keeping people comfortable, if you will. Um, sorry, I haven't, I've had a long week, but um so, so values that align with cultural uh, behaviors is always important is what I'm trying to ask. And how do you think that's been heightened in this current COVID-19 period? Yeah, it's a great question, Mike. So I think when we, we break it down, so I mean, in the employee relations sphere, we really have that opportunity because a lot of leadership development programs tend to fall under this aspect of HR. So we can really help set the tone of how an organization acts and responds within its values. Like if you break it down, Values feed into purpose, which which feeds into mission. And, you know, I don't think anyone out there in a lot of organizations, if, if they're functioning and, and making money in any aspect, they're not having any issue with clarity of mission. It's the, the, the values that how, how you get there. So it's really the core of most modern leadership techs. It's easier to get people to buy in if they believe, and a great way to believe is to inspire a purpose or a passion that matches value. So you know, someone doesn't have to have 100% alignment with your corporate values, but you got to have some overlap uh, here so mm-hmm. you can get them inspired to, to move move along with that. So like, let, let's look at a leadership truth here. If your constituents, if the people that you're trying to lead don't see what you're doing as leadership, it isn't leadership. I think value holds a really mm-hmm. key piece in here because it needs, it needs to speak to them. And when I look at uh, the pandemic, you know, I, I work – you know, not just employee relations, but in public health care and continuing care um, in, in Canada, we can spend all this time espousing values, probably too many of them that are on the corporate report of how you care, how creative you are, how much integrity you have. And those aren't how you really do business. What happens in a crisis? The robes come off because it's no longer like this isn't about alignment. It's just not about aligning the values. It's about a foundation. So, if your values are not foundational, which means they can't survive a crisis and become the lived experience of leadership, all you have is leadership through charisma. And leadership mm-hmm. by charisma, I think it's this important point here, it looks pretty, but it's paper thin. So it's no, no yep. better than the values printed on, on the glossy annual report. There's no depth to it. There's no roots to this. Because when you're leading from values, you're leading from, from your followers, you're leading from from place, you're leading from purpose, you're leading from charisma, uh, the, the whole the whole house of cards come down. If it fails under pressure because the organizational leadership your people are depending on, that they are desperate for as they navigate their own layers of crisis, because I think we're really good at this in organizations. We're, we're responding to a crisis as a public health organization or, or a business, and we forget that all of our people are dealing with their own things, scared about coming to work, scared about infecting their families, wondering if they can get groceries, wondering if they're still going to have a job. Mm-hmm. If, if, if there's nothing concrete to attach the foundation of the organization to, 
if you aren't living value. So you can't just walk into values during crisis. They need to exist the whole time. And it ends up, if you don't have that, it ends up being a big, big hole in your structural leadership. And even strong individual leaders will fall, fall into it because they have no support, right? Yeah, people right. talk about, oh, this great leader came into this hospital or something, and they did great things, and then, and then they left, and it all went back to the same. It's because they're trying, you're trying to fit a, a, a square peg into a round hole of what the structural leadership is. And you change the structure of your leadership and your, and your organization uh, through, the, through the values. So I think when you're looking at that relationship between values and leadership, and it's not just exclusive to the values-based leadership models you can get a dozen B-books on. The, those foundation values become your place of leadership. So normal times, this is your balancing indicator that this is great. Are we kind of generally aligned with values? Are people happy? Are we doing our, our Gallup 12 and, and, and things, things are, are coming up well? Do people have purpose? Do they, they have uh, someone they can talk to at work? Do they believe in the mission and cause of your organization? So that's your balancing indicator. In crisis, which we're in a lot more often than we'd like to think we are, because it's not just a pandemic that we're uh, in crisis in, values become your guiding light. So for us, information was rapidly changing. All, all, we went from, I remember going for a day with my team and talking about maybe we should go to site less, because we, we support a lot of law centers, and my team is always yeah. out on site doing their good work out there. So in the space of six hours, we went from we should be at site less to pushing everyone out the office to home, and that's where they've yeah. been for yep. the past four months. Yeah. So yeah. The, that's uh, how quickly yeah, the, this dynamic changed. Go ahead. Right. Yep. So, um, I'm sorry. I'm, go ahead. When you're done, just let me know. I got a quick follow-up question. I yeah, don't want to cut you off. For sure. Go ahead. For sure. So when we're looking at all these rapid changes, like you know organizations, especially, you know, public sector ones like mine, we love to have all the information we can before we make a decision, but crisis doesn't allow for it. Crisis leadership doesn't allow for it. So what are we going to balance crisis leadership with? It's got to be the values. So when we had 60% of what we needed, we held it up to our values, held it up to that light there, and if it worked, that was our gut check. If, gut check. if it fit, we went. If it didn't, we tabled it. Um, and mm-hmm. that was a lot of faith put in four words. We have gotten some posters and what ended up happening as information changed and we took a look back and then the rules changed so like this is the longest game of Calvin ball I've ever played in my life uh, as the mm-hmm. rules changed so much we found two things if we were held into our, our values first one is we didn't have to change our decision much so that really spoke to our strong lived experience of values served us well during this process and if we did have to change our people understood why because communicating to them regularly was one of our values. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Mike. Yeah, so what I was what I was thinking about is um and I, I, I totally agree with all of that. Um in the in the course of the, you know, whatever how many weeks it is now, three or four months since this really came to you know, the North America, if you will, I've seen a lot of organizations mm-hmm. that have made kind of like quick, reactive sort of decisions, you know, like um uh, from from safety equipment, no, don't wear masks, to everybody has to wear a mask, you know, and kind of some iterations of, of, of a policy in between, to we're going to provide pandemic pay or hero pay for you guys now, like Loblaws is a store I saw up there that did it, and then they Safeway, and, and I think it was in Calgary, they, they gave $2 an hour yeah. or whatever it was, and that happened at many at many retailers down here. Then now they have to back out of it. So we made a ton of responses, I guess, um, you know, to, to a very quickly emerging uh, 
a quickly emerging dire state. And now as, it, as things have, you know, normed it back a little bit, if you will, or settled down a little bit, now we got to go and kind of unwind those. And so, you know, I think there are two, two focuses there. One of them is it may have been hard to uh, uh, lead with values in a, in a very clear way because of the pandemic, and, and that now creates on the back end some unintended consequences where you're, you gave two bucks an hour, now you got to take it away, and that that's bound to you know resonate through, through the hourly workforce, right? Mm-hmm. So how do you how do you mm-hmm. kind of deal with that? Was was where I, where I was going, I guess, with the question. Yeah, that's that's a, that's a good one, and you know, unwinding some of that, I think you will look back and see you know why were some of those decisions made? Because I'd say you know in in leading with value through through the pandemic, I and mean, values are always also a long game as well because it, again it's foundational yep. i think uh yeah. to to the organization i you know so i mean the, the grocery example is an interesting one and i know like uh safeway here in alberta they've got a strike mandate now and they're certainly raising this uh two dollars an hour uh on, on that and one of the things i kind of look at there is what was their labor relationship uh going in and at the same right. time, they're they're saying they're going to pull two dollars an hour off. You know, uh, the, the Westons, which own Loblaws, is one of the richest families in the country. So that there's there's certainly some disparity uh, that uh, rises there. And so in terms of how they decide to uh, implement what that looks like. So I mean, we we we've done a, a couple of things. Um, so for example, we've uh, guaranteed some payments for mischiefs for people uh, that would need to be uh, isolated because they've perhaps come into contact with, with, uh, with someone who has a probable or, or confirmed case of COVID-19 and, you know, we're a healthcare workforce, so we need to exclude them. So we thought this was, this was really going to run people's sick banks down uh, to exclude them off like this. So we're, we're paying some additional pay, and, you know, we're, we're starting to have that conversation of, okay, well, what does it look like and what does the consequence look like? Because when a number of these things started, you know, I remember driving uh, – to work because I've still been in the office a bit when this uh, first started in March and, and the, uh, the expressways were clear and now it looks kind of like normal traffic again and the yeah. concept mm-hmm. I think people had that this is, this is going to be around for two or three weeks and we're, we're going to be back back to normal. It'll be like uh, SARS back in uh, 06 and it'll just disappear. That's, I, I think we're starting to see that that's not there. So what's the evolution? I think in terms of we're trying to you know, unwind. Is it unwind or reestablish or reset what the next direction is? And how are we talking to our people about that? Because I think in any values conversation, so if one of your values is integrity, a lot of organizations have, a lot of people will say integrity is a value. Where's the conversation that's coming uh, be, behind that? So one of the conversations we're, we're going to be having is, you know, if, if there's an outbreak somewhere, we're going to continue this pay model because we still think that's the right mm-hmm. thing to do. But if it's a normal, you were out at a restaurant and you got contact traits and that sort of thing, then we're, we're in a space now where we're moving back to this because here's what we know that's different now. It's, it's longer term. Here's how much uh, it, it costs uh, the organization. Here's, here's how we're protecting you when we have, as an employer have potentially put you at risk. So we're trying to really mm-hmm. suss out those uh, uh, different points of de- delineation uh, there for that. It it yeah. doesn't always make a, a popular test. I think it's going to be necessary for sustainability of organizations because this isn't a short-term uh, response. And we've got uh, something going on here around if you're working in uh, healthcare, you can only work in, in one 
for one healthcare employer in one site. Mm. So we've got 13 sites. So that impacted us, right? So we had to temporarily say goodbye to 300 of our staff, 10% of our workforce. Mm. And we thought that was going to be until September. Well, now it's going to be until February 2022. Mm. Wow, that's what's happening here. That's just the Alberta Wow. So now we're now, again, in the space of a week, trying to lean on our values, we're looking at an entire new workforce planning paradigm because we're holding jobs for these people because it's the right thing to do. It's also the thing we've been told we have to do. But what, what, what does that start uh, to look like? And for us, it's communicating to our staff. It's giving them as much rundown as we can of how we came to the decision, and this is the decision that mm-hmm. we're at, and getting – uh, them on board with as we get new information that changes things just like we've got you know new information on how this virus works and what are different risk points and the OR staff see that from and help from a very practical experience because they see the difference in protocols as we've gone through uh, different pockets of virus within within our, our, our centers just talking to them getting some of their input and, and feedback and also making sure as much as we can that if, we're, if we need to make a rapid decision we're making the impact of that decision as soft as possible out to the staff so for example on, on this on this uh, outbreak pay piece you know we're our, our, our parent organization has said do this today we're saying you know what we're, we're just going to we've got a couple of sites in outbreak right now we're, we're going to start communicating on this but we're going to touch base on it in August because our, our staff are tired and we need to uh, respect yeah. that and show some leadership there yeah well, I think you know uh, it, it, as you kind of take took us you know through that conversation of that, it's so often yeah. the organizations I've worked in where values are truly embedded and lived and understood um are also the organizations where we constantly would reference our values whenever we made a decision, and that mm-hmm. takes. Uh, that takes work and that takes everybody understanding that and being on the same page. Because I think what happens a lot is a company will, um, here's our values, and they slap it up on the wall or some you know marketing person wrote it, and it, there's no soul to it. And so there's a value or value statements, um, but then there's no work done to, well, what do those behaviors look like? How do you live integrity or you know collaboration or whatever my values might be um what are the behaviors and then what are the actions that we take and how do we incorporate that in our in our decision making um because i think back to places where we we would sit around the where i've worked and we actually quite frankly do it where i work right now but we'll you know we're faced with uh something to do and we'll when we're making that decision we'll say um, should we do A or B? Well, I think we should do A because that aligns with our value of X, whereas B does not really align with it. I mean, so it's just at the forefront of every decision, um, and that and that triggers the action. Um, and you know, kind of as we talked, when when in crisis, it's you're just kind of moving, you know, thousand miles a minute. So so for those companies or HR leaders that have done things right, um, and by right I mean, <laughs> you know, aligned with their values throughout this, you know, kind of crisis, um, 
you know, what what's the long-term impact for those that have done that right, done it right? What's the impact for those that have not done it or have fallen out of alignment with what they stood for? Right. So, I mean, for the ones to generate and think, you know, those leaders can can sleep well at at night. And you know, for all the benefits for someone who's done it right, I, I think is a disadvantage for someone who who hasn't done it right. So those values aren't deeply embedded in that decision making. They get they get tossed out because they become inconvenient. They don't almost seem to become a barrier to trying to move your organization forward in a crisis, or at least keep your your head above water. So if you've done it right, you've looked after your reputation internally and externally. And even in a market like this, people are going to be moving around jobs. So if suddenly you're in crisis and those values and how you treat people went out the window, your your people are going to follow that. Uh, They're they're going to make that decision on that. I think when you're leading from values, the organization done it right you make the recovery from crisis a reason and response as well because you still bring it back through that lens. And you're just like, you know, mm-hmm. Mike and I are chatting about winding some of these things down. This becomes a reason yeah. response to the crisis because you've got, you've got that balancing indicator right there. And, you know, in the middle of this, we've had some pretty hot employee relations issues pop up and we get uh, people stressed out with, you know, infections and that sort of thing uh, mm-hmm. happening in their sites. And it's okay, let's go fire this person. So we come back and say, okay, but what, do, what where, where would our values guide us? And that's been the great de-escalator in, in all of this. Yeah. Uh, for the ones who've done it wrong, like I and say to those organizations, you, you, you're seen, we, we see you, that the reputational impact is there and the yeah. crisis will continue. And when the second wave happens, your people that you have left, they're not going to have the energy to help you withstand it. They're going to be tired. They're going to be distrustful. Mm-hmm. And now they're in mm-hmm. survival mode. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're trying to gather a response from ashes as opposed from mm-hmm. uh, a group that has some now hardened resilience. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. Sorry, Robin, I got distracted by something that came oh. up from work. We have kind of weird situation, so we want to, want to keep going. Sorry. Okay. So uh, we're down to really just a, a, a few minutes left. So uh, let me toss you one oh, one wow. last question, Rob, because um, we want to leave time sure. to, to have you let uh, folks know where they can reach you. Um, when looking at values and, and reinforcing values, especially coming out of a time of a time of crisis, um, what what are kind of the top top three things that an HR leader should do to get things back in line? Yeah, so uh, getting things back in line. So you're, you're talking like uh, you know they've, they've had to deliver something maybe against values, or they're trying to reset mm-hmm. the ship a bit here. Yeah. Yeah. So I think you know part part of HR leadership, any leadership, is ethical leadership, and this is why I'm I'm always a big fan that your your values are embedded and foundational because it, 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 it forces your ethics. It, it writes your ethos for you. Uh, it yeah. has your integrity. So, you know, if you have, if you have to give that difficult message, you got to really consider, are you in a position to give that message and, and, and challenge it? And that's certainly what I've encouraged mm-hmm. members of, of uh, my team to do. You know, I, I think HR is in good position. Like HR knows exactly what it takes to get fired in an organization. So you got, you got some clout here. So you can ask, yeah. how is this decision made? and make suggestions on how to bring it back to 
the values. So if you have any exec leaders in your organization who are bought into values, that simple question of how does this relate back to our values here? How is this going to help us recover from this? Starts to mm. really resonate uh, with them. Uh, and, you know, like, I, I know I'm, 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 privilege to be in a position like this, but I'd say if your work and actions erode your personal values, it's not sustainable for you. Uh, so yeah. you might end up wearing a reputation mark you don't want to have. Hopefully you don't get to down, get down that path. But I think what's important from an HR leadership standpoint is, you know, be, be having that open conversation with your exec, because that's one of, one of the items that uh, you bring to that overall business conversation is uh, the ethics and integrity of the leadership through the values, because a lot of that ends up sitting in in the HR sphere and reminding people yep. of the, the good actions that they take off of them and showing them uh, the path of where they can go. And there's, there's lots of examples uh, that are arising out there, people who have done good things during the values and, and uh, their staff are really resilient. But I think about WestJet, which is our, one of our major national airlines here. Um, yep. And they had to lay off a huge portion of the workforce, but like many airlines did. And, you know, I know yeah. a lot, Westridge's a Calgary company, a proud Calgary company. I know lots of people who work there. I'm seeing thousands of people lose their jobs, and they're posting on Facebook and Twitter how grateful yeah. they are for their employer as they're being walked out the door. Hey, I, hey, love Rob, I, I love that. I love that. Sorry to cut you off. We're down. Yeah, we're just about set to go here. So, Rob, quick. Um, this has gone so fast and furious. Thanks to our guest, Rob Caswell, for joining us. <laughs> Rob, tell folks Thank where you. they can find you online. Easiest place to find me online is Twitter, at Rob Caz, R-O-B-C-A-Z. And uh, find me on LinkedIn, too. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us um, for O Canada Week Take Two. This was, this was <laughs> a great conversation. Appreciate it. Uh, peace out uh, to Mike, and peace out, Thanks. Rob. Bye, everybody. Thank you, Rob. Bye. All right, thanks. Bye.